been uh, happy to see you all. Um, we've been in this new series. This is week four, and hopefully we'll land the plane a little bit today, and then we'll see some actual case studies of this over the next four weeks, starting next week. But I told you at the beginning of this that I wholeheartedly believe there's never been a better time to be alive, particularly for those of you with a short attention span, because there's all sorts of craziness happening each and every day, and I don't know if you were keeping up with it this week. I've been keeping up with it. The, the stock market... Are y'all familiar with this? I'll tell you what's going on if you don't. But the reason that, like, I'm so intrigued by these things is not even a healthy thing. It's something called FOMO. Are you familiar with it? The fear of missing out, FOMO. And so what's happened is I go, oh, am I, not, I don't know what's going on. I need to know what's going on. And in the middle of this FOMO, I'm hearing this conversation happening uh, on, on the Twitter land, right? That's this cute little toxic place where people say what they feel which is so amazing that everybody has a platform to spew their venom. But in the, the, the Twitter sphere, you got the FOMO, the fear of missing out, so I'm consuming it, and they're all saying YOLO, you know that means that you only live once, meaning why not jump into this craziness? And so what I do is I go, oh, fear of missing out, y- YOLO, and then I'm going, should I do it? And then I typically end up doing it, and I go, uh-oh, right? FOMO to, you know, YOLO to uh-oh, and then eventually to the Oh, no. i got to tell Julie that we just lost all of our money. That kind of thing. I'm just joking. It hadn't really happened in that way. But what's been going on in, in the stock market right now is there's this way by which people can borrow stocks. doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It doesn't seem very healthy, right? I'm very concerned that we leverage our future in our, for our present, right? I think it should be kind of inverted. We should leverage our present, what we have right now, to prepare ourselves for a better future, right? So what a lot of folks have done, particularly hedge fund managers, they kind of look in and go, hey, we're going we're gonna, to you know, try to predict the future and watch some of these stocks that we think are going to go down, particularly a couple different things, some kind of old school um, way of doing things like GameStop where you, know, you buy little Nintendo games. Uh, now a lot of that's being downloaded, so there's this prediction that that will go down. Another one right now is AMC Theaters. Right, right now you can't go to the theaters. So some people thought, man, if we buy the stock now, we can watch it go down, or we borrow the stock now, we can sell it right now and get the money. And then when, that, when it's time for us to actually pay the, you know, the, the note for it, the, the price is going to go down, and we'll pay it then, and we'll make money off of nothing, right? So a lot of folks did that. Now, on the other side of it, there are all these people on the Internet. Are you all familiar with this thing called the Internet? It's crazy. It's where people talk and communicate and come up with all sorts of harebrained ideas. And and these people on the internet go, hey, we're aware these hedge fund managers are trying to uh, uh, short a stock, get it, watch it go down, and then, you know, sell it now, and then make some money off money they didn't even put in. And so we have an idea. If we can get a whole bunch of people to start buying these stocks, the price is won't go down, they'll go up. And guess what? Those people are on the hook for it, meaning if we buy it and send the price up, eventually those people who promised that they'd pay it back will have to pay us. A higher price and so what happened is they took the whole mob of you know the twitter land and the reddit land and all those all the people online they go they pointed all their attention to the stock market and go let's raise these prices let's get them up and so these crazy things start happening with this you know, almost a, a false economy and these stocks aren't worth it but people are paying so much money the stocks are going up and the world is crazy so i was watching it going i think that's actually kind of what's happening in every part of our culture right now right you get a mob Grab the people, get a big mob, turn all their attention to a thing, and then you get them to swallow up whatever it is they turn their attention to, right? You got it? So find the mob, find the thing that you want to put all their attention on, focus all the attention on that thing until they swallow it up. 
Another way that we talk about it is called cancel culture. Are you familiar with cancel culture? It's where someone says something they shouldn't say, right? And so when we read the scriptures, go, there's power of life and death in the tongue. Oh, boy, are we seeing it, right? I mean, literally, people say something even 10 years ago, and all of a sudden, there is literal death to their job and to their families, right? Because of their, their words, right? And so people are pointing, go, they shouldn't have said that, bad on them, and they'll get the attention of all the Twitter land. They'll turn all the focus and go, that's the, that's the mark. That's the target, and everybody kind of consumes it. Then they get canceled, then they give these fake apologies, but it doesn't work anyway, and then the world's just a mess, right? And so to think about all that and think about us, it's like, oh, that's what I wanted us to do. That's exactly what I want us to do, right? How do I convince you all, we convince each other, that we should pull all of our resources, and we should put all of our attention onto something, and then swallow it up, but not with vitriol and anger, but with love and with grace, what if we pointed all of our resources and all of our energies towards the brokenness in our world and going, we're going after that, right? What if we did the opposite of cancel culture? In fact, I was so excited about it, I went and started looking on the internet. Such a neat place, guys. You should hang out there a little bit, but be careful. And I, you can buy domain names, and I've been doing this for years. It's so broken. It's like, oh, that's a good idea. So I have like 500 domain names. I think the first one was churchinabar.com. I still own it, right? And all these different domain names. And so this week, I went and I bought gracemob.com, right? Because it's like, oh, there's all these mobs. What if it looked like they had this mob that's just filled with grace when bad things happen? We just go and pour out love. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. And I uh, think about years, long before I got in Pennsylvania, there was that shooting, you know what I'm talking about? The shooting in the Amish school. Absolutely devastating. Not too far from here. And watching the Amish response to that shooting, right? There is, I mean, basically shooting you know, suicide, the guy who shoots either takes his life or has his life taken. You know, there's a mom, wife, whose husband just did some really bad things and just ruined a lot of lives. And the Amish culture, those folks, they turn their attention to that wife in ridiculous amounts of forgiveness. Cared for her, loved her, provided food for her, and it became a and I wasn't here. I, don't even, I didn't know about you guys then. I was out in Montana where, you know, life was, you know, whatever we wanted. We just did what we want. Nobody tells us what to do out there, right? I didn't even know about this place. But I remember that national story going, ah, man, if, if the Christian church could get a hold of that understanding and that mentality where we turn our attention and our focus and offer grace and love and all those things, then something can change. So right now we're in week four of this happy strife, happy life series. And here's kind of the big idea. There is a kingdom available to us, which is the exact opposite kingdom that, this, that exists on this plane here. There's the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth. And we've talked about it this way. The kingdom of earth is here, right? And you know this place, right? And there's this kingdom that John the Baptist and Jesus tell us at different parts of the scriptures, repent for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is near, meaning we're so close to it, but here we are here. And how do we get there? And what we've learned is, I'm going to figure this out. Sorry, guys. What we've learned is, in all these things, that there are some uh, buttons and some indicators that help us get from here to there. And one of the great ones is strife. Right? Dave Ramsey says it this way. People only change when the pain of the same gets greater than the pain of the change. And so what's really beautiful about pain and concern and heartache is in those moments that we go, we don't want to stay here anymore. We can't stay here anymore. So where do we go? 
how do we change? And so the whole series has been, how do we leave here and go there? And the problem is, in order to get where you want to go, you got to leave where you want to stay. So for many of us, we've gone, oh, don't want to stay here anymore. Time to walk through that doorway, pain, sorrow. That's the doorway. How do we get through? For others, it's going, well, here's not that bad for me right now. My 401k hasn't been hit. We still got our jobs, our, our families intact, all those things. And there's not any real pain here. So why in the world would I leave here, which is nice and cozy, to go there, which is unfamiliar? And I'm not in control. And I go, oh, you're not really in control anyway. But I understand that you feel that. I feel that too. So why in the world would you leave here when here's not that bad? For many of you, Christians or non-Christians, you're going, yep, I can make that stake. I can make that claim right now. Here is bad. How do I get there? But I, you know, I've gotten the feedback. Well, what if I'm not in any pain? What do I do there? And what's really neat today is Jesus is going to offer us a promise, a promise that I certainly hope convinces you it's time to go there. And not only is he going to offer us a promise of what there looks like, he's also going to offer us a warning. So when Jesus is talking, he is addressing religious people in this. These are the churchgoers. These are the synagogue goers. So these are the people who try to button up their life and put it together. You know, they've made wise decisions with their money. They've done all those things, and yet there's something off and missing, right? So this is a talk that Jesus is sharing to religious people who have lost sight of the kingdom of heaven because they've started focusing on their rules and regulations that they pretend like they do and they expect everyone else to do. So if you're not a Christian here in the room, online, or out in the parking lot, what a beautiful time that you get to watch Christians squirm. And yet, I want to be real clear here, that this same promise and this same warning is for you as well. Same promise, same warning, and all this is shared from Jesus in love and grace. And so I hope you hear that in that way. So, where we are, we're going to pick up where we left last week. We've just walking through the Gospel of Luke, which the Gospel of Luke is written by this doctor turned investigative journalist. Dr. Luke is his name. He's hired to go investigate these claims and the behaviors of Jesus. He goes and get, gathers all the data in many different ways to put together an orderly account. And he says, I write these things so you can have certainty of the things you've been taught. You know, he is in the part where Jesus is a, explaining what it looks like to be in the kingdom of heaven. He's explaining what it looks like to have a mob of people come and believe these things and turn their attention to the brokenness of the world and pour out grace and forgiveness and mercy on those people. So he's establishing these things. So Luke is going to write these things so that we can have certainty of the way that we should live in the kingdom of heaven. We find ourselves in Luke chapter 6, verse 43. We read this last week. Just want to make sure we're all at the speed. So let me read it again, beginning in verse 43. Here's what Luke is saying, quoting Jesus. And this is what he says. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. So he's saying, hey, there is something about fruit that should be produced. And you go, okay, that's already confusing to me. And we'll read the rest of it. But what's happening here is Luke is quoting Jesus, who's going, hey, there is a, there is a litmus of how you can determine which kingdom you're living in. And the way of the litmus, this is really, really simple, has to do with the fruit that you produce. By the way, the purpose of fruit is not for the tree. Got it? The purpose of the fruit is for those who benefit from the tree by eating the fruit, right? This, this, this production, this mob focuses attention on love and grace and mercy is for the good of all people. And Jesus is going to tell us, well, make sure you understand the big ideas that kind of holds up in verse 43. Here's what it is this week. Discovering, having evidence for, and enjoying the kingdom of heaven, which is what I want for you, what I want for all of us, right? Discovering, 
the kingdom of heaven, having evidence for the kingdom of heaven and enjoying this kingdom. Leaving here, going there, where you can discover it, can have evidence for it, be confident, and enjoying it. the kingdom of heaven is not found in what you say. It's found in what you do. Got it? We put way too much emphasis on saying things and way little on doing things. And if you're not a Christian, you get this. Boy, do you get this. You watch us Christians make these big claims online, and, and then you go, wow, it's so weird that you say all these things. And then you do the opposite of those things, right? Some of you have this experience. If you're a Christ follower in your home and you have people who aren't in your home, whether that's a spouse or kids or grandkids or parents, and they're going, what? Right? There's, there's already that pressure there. And so the, the kingdom of heaven has li- very little to do with what you say and everything to do with what you do. Now, now, you know this, right? Because, like, I mean, even in our courts of law, right? When, when someone is accused of a crime, right? They don't go, did you do it or not do it? And you go, I didn't do it. Okay, done. Or I did it. Okay, done, right? So what they do in those instances is they investigate. And what are they looking at in the, uh, in the investigation? They're looking at what is done, not what is said. The evidence points to what actually happened. We get this. And so our judgments, the judgments from our court of law, are all about what someone did, not what they said, right? So let's gather the evidence of what was actually done. No, for us easier, right? You know this in the job interview. Like if you sit in a world where you interview candidates, when you're asking someone, hey, what do you think about this? What will you do? And they go, this is what I do. I have all these plans. You go, okay, okay. Can you tell me the evidence in your life where you actually did those things, right? Or can you show, point to a time where you produced the results you're now talking about? And, and if, you, if you sit in a higher level of leadership, you're really, really suspicious at this point in our life of people that just talk and have never done right? So the, this, is, this is biblical, but it's also just practical. We, we see those things, and so what Jesus is going to tell us is, hey, you want to live in the kingdom of heaven. It is not about what you say. It's all about what you do. There is actually results for this. You're going to be graded on your performance, and you know that because the world is already grading us on our performance. So Jesus is going, you want to kind of think about what you do. Here's what it looks like. Uh, bad trees create bad bad fruit. Unhealthy trees make unhealthy fruit. Healthy trees, guess what they naturally produce? Healthy fruit that's beneficial to anyone who walks by, anyone who encounters that tree. Now, when he's talking about this, he's talking to the religious people going, I want you to be healthy trees that produce healthy fruit. Okay, so he's going, here it is, for each tree is known by, verse 44, for each tree is known by its fruit, what it produces. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes. It's so funny. Jesus goes, you know this, you know this. You don't get figs from thorn bushes. Nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. Right? You want to know what kind of tree you are. You want to know what's going on. Look at the fruit. Look at what it produces. And look who, at who benefits from the fruit you produce. The good person, so he's going to go, hey, when I'm talking about trees, I'm talking about you. The good person, the one who lives in the kingdom of heaven, the good person, out of the good out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. Watch this. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. 
So Jesus is talking to religious leaders. These are people who know the Torah, the Old Testament. He's going, but the way by which the kingdom of heaven is gauged, whether or not you're in it, has to do with the fruit you produce. How do you know the fruit you produce? Watch the things that you say. How do you know that? Because whatever comes out of your mouth is actually what's in you. So when that person pulls over in front of you in a car and you're like, oh, it's not their fault that that came out of you, right? It was in you. It wasn't in them. They didn't come place that anger and those words and that vitriol that just spews out. That person cuts in front of you in the line and you just spew or that person at the, you know, the, behind the counter takes too long. Right? That irritation you have, that's not their fault. Yeah, they could be faster, but what, what the real reality is what's in you is what's coming out of you. No one, maybe they bumped into you and made it spill, but we're still responsible for what's in us. So Jesus is going, you want to you know if you're actually enjoying and living in the kingdom of heaven? It's really simple. Look at your fruit. And the way you look at your fruit is go, who is enjoying and re- being relieved and finding hope and peace as a result of coming in contact with your tree? So he goes, here's what it looks like. Here's the fruit. And you go, well, how do we know what our fruit is? What's so nice, thank you, Jesus, is before we get here in this part of the sermon, he's already given us a lot of stuff. You can go back three weeks and start listening to it, but I'm just going to give you a quick reminder. Jesus actually says, remember, it's not about what you say, but what you do, and then the say versus the do. He goes, let me tell you, here's the litmus, here's kind of the, here's the grade sheet, here's the answer key, so you can see it. Here's what it looks like to produce good fruit, and he's going to tell us multiple things. First, he's going to tell us, love people. Love, Okay. That word love means agape. That literally means to see people the way God sees them, which he created them because he is madly in love with them, right? Here's the really complicated thing. This is really hard for us because we hate other people's ideas sometimes. And to be honest with you, sometimes your ideas are not very good, right? And some of times your beliefs are are broken and wrong. That's true. And sometimes you have behaviors based on your belief that are actually pretty disgusting. Not you, but the people that you look at, you know that, you're— your kids, right? Just let's be honest, right? It's a joke. So, but the reality is, and all that stuff, we now take the idea, the performance, and we place someone's identity based on those things, and Jesus is going, there's an actual soul on the other side of that performance or idea or belief, and guess how God feels about that soul? He's madly in love with it. How do we know that? Because the whole idea of creation, as he created people because he had infinite love to pour out on them. And that's the word love that we have here. So God has plenty of love to share with them, regardless of their behavior, regardless of what they did wrong. And Jesus tells us, even for your enemies, their ideas you don't like, their performance you don't like, you're supposed to love them, agape love, see them as God sees them. No, it's not just love. He also tells us not only do you have to see them as God sees them, you actually have to do good to them. Do good. Meaning, there's an actual an action step. You don't just feel that and go, that's how God sees it. The natural result is you actually do good. You serve them. You care for them. You love them, right? You do things for their benefit. Right? One of the things he says. And then he actually goes a step further, and he goes, bless them. Bless them, right? Not only do you do good to them, you actually speak well of them. Both about them and, oh, hear this. To them. I want to know what your fruit is. You're going to love. You're going to bless. You're going to do good. Then he goes on and he tells us this. He says, you're going to pray for them. Now, here's what's crazy. That word prayer there isn't, this literally, that language means to exchange wishes. You know, you have those wishes that you, when you blow out the candle, doesn't work, but you know what I'm talking about. 
or when you want something good and you knock on wood. I love when people do that. I'm like, ah, oh, that's so good. Way to put your hope and faith in that piece of wood instead of Jesus. Really, really neat. You know, but you know when you have those wishes or those hopes, that exchange wish is going, you know when you throw that penny or that quarter into the fountain? Whatever you wish for you, could you wish it for those people as well? And by those people, I mean the ones that you don't like, the ones that are your enemies, the ones who've actually done harm to you is what the scriptures say. So Jesus is going, you want to know your fruit? You're going to love them. You're going to do good for them. You're going to bless them. You're going to exchange wishes. And it gets even worse. You're going to lend to them. Oh, it literally means you're going you're to take an inventory of your resources and go, how can these resources benefit those people? is so messed up. This is so counterintuitive. Here, we don't do any of that. We might lend to our kids, right? Because we love them, and they're kind of an extension of us. You get all that. But over here, you go, no, no. Lend to those who's probably not going to give it back. And when you lend to it, don't even have an expectation. And then he wraps all this up in his first little talk, and he goes, and be merciful as your Father. The God of heaven is merciful. He's going, here's the deal. These five things are completely impossible. Completely. It's not even possible. You can't do it. It's not even in your heart. And you're going, yeah, yeah, I get that. Boy, do I not want to do that for that person. Yeah, but I get it, get it, get it. The only way that happens, Jesus goes, be merciful. That literally means don't make them pay the consequences. Hear me. They deserve to pay, and they deserve to pay it. He's going, no, 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 no. In the kingdom of earth, everybody pays for what they do. The wages of their sin is death. It is death, and boy, do we know that. We know that in our relationships. We know that with losing our jobs. We know that in all those things. It is death. He's going, ah, oh, that's the kingdom of earth. In the kingdom of heaven, there is a pardon for all that stuff because Jesus, Jesus, Jesus pays that. So when you get that, when you understand that your heavenly Father is really, really merciful to you, your natural reaction out of the overflow of your heart is you start not wanting those people to pay for the punishment they deserve to pay. Because, because, because you've come to the conclusion that you also deserve to pay a punishment. And your heavenly father is merciful to you. So when you start understanding his mercy, a natural byproduct, that mercy comes out of you. So the reality is for many of you, you just got to stop here and go, I can't even listen anymore. Because I don't believe God's merciful. And I go, oh, yeah, 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 that's really, like, could you just today, if nothing else, I mean, hey, we're only, we're only halfway through this talk. And we got as far as you need to go. And you just go, could you just sit with God and go, is that true? Like, if you really pardon me? Do I really get them all again? Like, can I start? And you're talking about right this second. Fresh. Yeah, yeah, this isn't a New Year's resolution. This is what's so neat. In the book of Lamentation, he literally tells us that God's mercies are new. Hear me. Every single morning, as if the God of the universe, so smart of him, knew that you couldn't wait till next quarter, or next Monday, or next year, right? He knew that you were going to need to wake up this morning and be forgiven and pardoned, right? And so that a natural byproduct of finally getting that you are free, that he loves you, that he has covered a multitude of sins with his love for you. When you get that, a natural byproduct of that is you start being merciful to other people. Like you can walk out of here, hear me, completely free. You can stand up in your living room and head to your bedroom tonight, right? You can pull your car out of the parking lot today completely free, both of the burden that you think your sin is chasing you and it, God is going to punish you. And you can walk out completely free, no longer being attached, tethered to that anger and bitterness you have towards that person. That mercy is just as much for you as it is for them. So he goes, be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful. And we saw last week, he kind of helps us see these things in a little bit more clear detail. Then he says, judge not. Right, judge not. In other words, 
don't put them in a category of not worthy of love or grace. That judgment literally means to separate, and when we do it, we go, this person deserves my love and grace and affection. This person does not. That's all it is. And then he goes a step further and says, not only should you not judge, you should condemn not. Condemn not. Meaning not only should you not put them in a category of being undeserved of your grace, your attention, your love, your affection, but could you also not condemn them, meaning give them, not only size them up, make it, put them in a category, but write them off. Make a determining factor that they are unworthy. So judgment is about their behavior. Condemnation is about their identity. So he says, hey, you shouldn't focus on their behavior. And he actually tells us we should focus on our own. And you shouldn't focus on their identity. He tells us we should focus on our own. And when we get to a place where we have now come to a place where we have received God's mercy and grace, and then we can see them as not being condemned, but being just as loved by the God of the universe, then we can go and help them, right? When we want to look outward, let's look inward so that you and them, the one you want to judge, can all move forward through the doorway into the kingdom of heaven. And then he tells us two more things. He says, forgive. Again, another statement on mercy. Hey, could you not make them have to pay the price that you think they deserve to pay? Can you hear me? They probably deserve to pay that price. But not only should you be merciful in forgiveness, you should give. This is where grace comes in. This is not only should you not make them pay the punishment, you should want good for them. And not only should you want good for them, you should participate in the good for them. What are your resources? How do you do that? And that is disgusting. All this stuff. And so Jesus is going, hey, you want to know what kind of fruit you have? Then look at what goes out of your life. Are these categories? Do you love, do good, bless, pray, lend? And by the way, do you do those to your enemies? Are you merciful? Are you not judgmental? Do you not condemn? Are you forgiving? Are you gracious in giving? That's what the fruit looks like and we go oh that's really really hard and this is what's really good there's a promise in this and boy is there a warning and boy do i want good for all of us so let me continue reading let me tell you what it says next and it says actually before i do that let me just sit here for a second because as you look at this you go well why would i do that it doesn't make sense to me all right like i mean it doesn't really benefit me why in the world i don't have that much stuff so why would i give my stuff and give my time and energy to someone who I don't think deserves it so that they can get over here and why should I participate in that right in other words where a lot of us are and we stay here and this is where the difficult part of our motivation is right before we're going to move in that before we're going to obey it right we need a lot more understanding right okay explain to me why explain to me exactly how this works no Jesus why would you want me to do that for that person I don't really understand because what if that's enabling what if what if I break like there's all these reasons we go no I don't think maybe maybe that means it for them in that situation but I don't think this is the same as that situation this is a different situation so God if you really help me understand what you're going to do in the situation if I obey can you guarantee me some success like is that person not going to that I'm going to trust with this finance is that person sitting on the street corner is that person that person's not going to go like spend it on alcohol right like, could you play the tape forward and tell me, show me, show me, show me exactly what will happen then if I do that? Like, I'll, I'll be nice to my kids. I'll, I'll be gracious to them. I'll be gracious to my boss or coworkers. I'll be gracious to my neighbor who really annoys me. I'll do all those things. If you can just kind of show me what happens if I do those things. And the big idea part two, right? Big idea part one is kingdom of heaven is more about what you do, not what you say. Here's the red one. This is really, really important. Really, really important, right? In the kingdom of heaven... You choose obedience over understanding. Obedience first, right? Understanding can wait. As God is a, like he is brilliant and infinitely more wise than you are. You're never going to understand all you can. His, his ways, right? 
So understanding can wait. Obedience, you're going to see the promise in the morning. Obedience cannot. So we're going to choose. We should choose. What Jesus is telling us to choose is obedience over understanding. Well, that's really hard. No, 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 it's not. Let me explain to you why. Uh, the pandemic, this happened, it's a mess, right? And some of you, many of you, you've never done technology in any way, right? Now all of a sudden you can't see your kids, your grandkids, or you can't make any money if, because you can't get your car and drive to the place you need to go. And guess what you did? You did this massive pivot. Good job. Proud of you. It just shows kind of the resilience of, of the human soul and DNA from the God of the universe in us, the Mago Day that does those things. And you know what you didn't do? You didn't go, I'm not going to use Zoom until I understand all the, like, I need to understand exactly how it works. I need to understand exactly, like, could you show me the code for it, right? Or, or like, all of you, use this phone, like this little iPhone that like, tracks you and keeps up with you and tells on you, all those things, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you use it, and you don't understand anything about it, right? Do you have any idea how it works? Do you have any idea when you say, hey, Siri, would you, and it, you know, and you're so mesmerized when Siri actually does it. It's like, you know, flip a coin a hundred times. One time it's going to be the, hey, Siri works, right? But you don't know how that works, right? When you FaceTime, do you know how that stuff is sent? Like, do you understand your face is like beaming out in the, you know, the, the, the wave somewhere? Like, do you know how any of that stuff works? I don't know how that works. But you use it. Why do you use it? Because it is the only way you can get the experience you need to get in that moment. So you choose in that moment to the obedience long before you do the understanding. Right? So just practically, we already do this. So, but somehow with the kingdom of God, and it's like, oh, yeah, we'll obey when it's to our benefit. But hey, 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 that's a lot of work, and I'm not sure it's to our benefit. And hear me. Just a second. There's going to be a promise. This is to your benefit. There's going to be a warning. When you don't do this, there is, there is ruin coming, coming to you. So you go, okay, I'm going to choose Zoom. I'm going to log in. I'm going to do all those things. By the way, let me just give you a quick tip. If you use Zoom, you can go into like the, the settings in the video and you can like clean up your appearance. You can just say appearance thing. And your complexion looks glorious. I mean, it's beautiful, right? And there are actually ways where you can like add snap chat filters on your computer that then you can send to zoom and not only can you look pretty you can put a halo on your head do i know how it works no but do i know what works absolutely because I, every time i have a meeting now i just have that gold thing you know they from the renaissance for the saints and it's put right there behind me so you know, just uh, yeah that's just me being nice to you you're welcome and so right and so we know that we know that we choose these things all the time we one more example just want to make sure you get this Right? We know this in traveling. Look, you've heard about the Grand Canyon. Maybe you've even researched the Grand Canyon. You've looked at all the stuff of the Grand Canyon. Right? But you can't really experience the Grand Canyon just by getting more information about it, asking everybody else. What do you eventually have to do? You have to hop in your car, hop on the plane, make the investment, go there, go to Niagara Falls, wherever it is. And the only way that you can really enjoy it is when you finally go, I'm going to make that move over there because I understand that understanding isn't where I get the experience. It's in the movement. It's in the doing. It's in the obedience, right? Like, like for example, for me, like I've always thought cats were gross and terrible. But like, I can't just say that because it's just in my gut, right? I know that, but I haven't actually experienced it. So I've got a cat. And I've confirmed all my feelings about cats. See? So it's the same thing, right? So, no. so 
obedience over understanding. Remember, you go, that doesn't seem to work for me. Oh, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. There is a real beautiful benefit of this. Far more glorious than seeing the grandkids on FaceTime. Far more glorious than getting right there to the bottom of the ledge in the Grand Canyon. Far more glorious. It's a promise, but there's a warning. And watch what Jesus says next. Oh, it's hurtful. He goes, let me help you with the saying versus doing. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? He goes, hey, let me, let me help you there, religious folks. You keep saying that you're living over there in the kingdom, but the reality is you're still here. And how do you know? Because you say Lord out of your mouth, meaning boss, and yet you don't do what I say. And this is so, so simple but so helpful. Here's the thing. See these two words? Lord and no. They cannot coexist. Those two words don't coexist. Either you say no, and guess what that means? He's not Lord. You know who's Lord then? You are. He's going, look, I'm telling you these things. I'm telling you to do good, love, all those things. And you go, I'm not so sure yet. I need a little bit more information. He's going, you're saying no? Then here's the thing. There's no way I can be Lord because the reality is if you're saying no, I'm not Lord, you're Lord. So if you really want this to be true, by the way, by the way, this is what Jesus says. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. Meaning, this motivation in their heart to go, no, Jesus is boss. Jesus is my covering. He is the one I submit to. He is the one I honor. He's the one I serve. He's the one I follow. If that's the case, he's going, look, look, when you say Lord, what you're doing is taking no off the table. In other words, when you say Lord, you're going, oh, it's on. You got it? Whatever you want, Jesus. Oh, whatever it is. Yep, yep, yep. I'll love. I'll do good. He's going, if you don't, what you're really saying is no. And if you're saying no, then just let's be honest. Take me, take my name off the board. So those things, he says, why would you say Lord and yet not do what I say? And so I go, Lord, could we please? If we say Lord, we do it to say, oh, I'm not so sure, God. It seems so hard and they don't deserve it. Man, that would be a sacrifice for me. I'm not sure it's worth it. Oh, it's worth it. Remember, promise and a reward. So here's what it says next. Everyone, that's us. That's out in the parking lot. That's online. That's whoever's on their treadmill listening to this, right? Everyone, that's inclusive of all of us. Everyone, hear this. Who comes to me, right? Something about coming close, going, God, I just want to hear you. Right? You said that. You got, God, if you're real, would you just speak? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words, so just hear me, as long as you're not drowning me out right now, right now that is you. You're here, your position in front of God's word. Everyone who comes to me and hears my word, watch what it says, and does them, I will show you what he is like. You know, this is inclusive language, so he or she, all of us, right? I'll show you what they are like. You want to see what they're like? He, they, are like a wise person, wise man, building a house, right? Who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Remember, remember, promise and a warning. Right now, all we get is promises. This first one, there's two promises I want you to see. First promise is the when, not if. He says, when, 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 when the storm comes. What a beautiful day. We got one coming at us right now, and you're preparing for it. Ready to go. Some of you are already batting on the hatches. You got your fire going. Man, I can't wait to do that. Some of you love the snow just for a couple of days, right? Right, so when the storm comes. So just be really clear. There is a storm coming. This isn't something I want to scare you with. So, hey, I don't feel any pain right now. Oh, you will. 
just part of life, and you know that. And if you've had any life, you go, yeah, you will. There'll be a diagnosis. There'll be some pain, and this scares me to say that. I got three little kids here now. What I'm hearing is teenage years, right? So uh, the young kid years, like, is when it's physically exhausting. But here's what I've been told: teenage years, you can nod your head if you agree with this. It becomes emotionally exhausting, right? And apparently, that it just doesn't stop. It just doesn't stop because there's some teenagers that go, "Hey, mom, dad, am I emotionally exhausting?" And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, you are. Like, yeah, like really. Like, see all those words? So exhausting. I don't want to do any of those to you." Right? So you got all this stuff, and so, so you get these things, and I'm just going to go, hey, what he's, there's a promise. If God's word is true, we should adhere to the promises. When, not if, the storms come. But here's the second part of the promise. Here's the benefit for you. Hear it again? When the flood arose, the stream broke against the house. It could not be shaken. Why? Because it had been well built. Whoever says to me, Lord, and does what I says, he is like a wise man who's built his house on a rock. When the rains come and the storms go, guess what? His foundation is not shaken. When? Right? So what we're doing now is preparing for then. And the way we do that is to go, we just need to do what he says. Because there will be a day, not fear-mongering, where you're going to have your house and the winds are going to come against it. And you go, ah, why am I not shaking? Aha, here's why I'm not shaking. Because Jesus is Lord of my life and I have placed into practice the things where I follow him. So what we are doing now, we are not leveraging the future for our present. We are leveraging our present. We're doing those things. Why? For our future. There is a promise in this. And there's a reward. You want, you want to live in a place that you'll never be shaken? Jesus goes, the way you do it is these things. Why am I so sure that it seems so messed up? Again, obedience. Long before understanding. Now here comes the warning. But, oh, that's a terrible word. The one and hears who does not do them, right? The one who's here and refuses to go there. And hear me, hear me, hear me. I'm not trying to get anything out of you. It's like some ask, I'm going to ask you for money. Like this, I promise you, there is nothing I want out of you. I promise you with everything I am with a pastor who sincerely loves you. This is all for you. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Now, experientially, I've just given you the verse as explaining everything that's going on for some of you in your life right now. Everything. You've put your hope in so many different things and all of a sudden, you lost the job. The marriage is a mess. You got the diagnosis. Right? You literally got terrible news. Maybe literally about your house and its foundation. Right? You have put your hope in whatever it is. Stock market, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, you are going, oh my goodness, this explains it because my life has crumbled. No, some of you, that hasn't happened yet. And he's going, there will be a storm. On either side, there is only one solution. There is a warning and there is a promise. And the promise is what you do long before you understand, you obey. And how do you obey? Well, there are some real clear commandments just in these verses that Jesus is sharing. Why again? For you. For your benefit. For the benefit of your children and their children, and their children. What we are talking about here is a generational adjustment. You know, we're all excited about generational wealth. I promise you this is so much better for your kids. This is so much better for your grandkids. This kind of plan where you prepare for the storms by obeying and putting Jesus' words into practice. You see the point of this, right? There's two houses, and they both look exactly the same on the outside. 
exactly the same. Same shutter, same windows. Maybe the same thing, vinyl siding. Ugh, but that's what we got around here. Stucco. Oh, right. Same, same outdoor. Whatever. Sorry, that's offensive. Ugh. All right. Let's go to the south. The beautiful craftsman. Sorry, I'll just stop there. Um, right. Same houses. Two different destinies. And guess what? The only one who can be responsible for that foundation. Oh, this is so hard. Is you. So Jesus is speaking and going, there's two different ways. And you're going, I'm not so sure he's speaking to me. I'm not sure. My situation is different. He's going, no, 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 no. You might not understand, but obedience, obedience long before understanding, and it is for your benefit. There is a promise. So how do we know which houses we're on? Well, there's three characteristics of spiritual imposters. Let me tell them to you real quick. We just read them. They don't bear spiritual fruit. Right there. There's no evidence of any of those things. They don't bear spiritual fruit. So you've got to look inward, not outward, not point. Ah, is that me? Is there spiritual fruit? Second one is, they don't do what Jesus says. You hear what I'm saying? I'm saying they, not you, because I'm not trying to like really point at you. I'm just going, hey, I don't, they don't do what Jesus says. Is that you? Here's the third one. Their faith falls apart in the storm. There's no fruit. They don't do what Jesus says, and their faith falls apart in the storm. And so what do you do if that's the case? And it's really, really simple. You build a better foundation. So the question is, what's your foundation built on? Let me give you some ideas to think about this. Right here, let me ask you some questions. Uh, your foundation is built on whatever you built your life on. So, let me ask you this question: Whatever has to be present in your life for your life to feel secure and for you to have joy, what is that thing? Because that's what you serve. It's what you strive after, and what you turn to in trouble. It's the thing you can't live without. So here's the question. What is it? What is there that if taken out of your life would make life not worth living? What is it? What is it? What has to be present in your life for you to feel fulfilled and engaged? Is it a good marriage? Kids that adore you? A boss who celebrates you? A bank account that comforts you? Close-knit family, reliable job, lots of food in your, lots of land. What is it? You're a prepper. You got all the stuff you need in case, like, is that what you're turning to? Because here's the thing. There's a promise. At some point, there will be a storm that will come against it, and those things will not be able to stand up to the storm. Hear me. At some point, those things, if they're things, they will end up in a landfill. They're people. They'll also end up in the ground. Right? If it's those things, they will fail you. At some point, there is a foundation. I know this is hard, and I know this is rough. It's going, the only place we can build our foundation is on Christ. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You know, what's interesting is um, a few years back, I'm so, con- so intrigued by the storms. I don't know why. I don't know if you're like me, but... Like, if there's a flood going, i got to watch all the stuff because I'm just mesmerized at, you know, Mother Nature when she gets angry, right? You know, just mesmerized by it. And uh, so I watched the hurricanes, watched those things. And a, year, a couple years back, um, kind of on the panhandle, there was Hurricane Michael. 
and it wiped out everything. <laughs> there literally was just one house, one, one, one. Everything gets wiped away, right? This picture, when the storms came, there literally is one house that, um, that makes it. And there's some guys, one's an attorney, one's a doctor, but they are Southern, and they have some good, you know, Southern vernacular. So beautiful. Now, I want you to watch, because their house made it. The CNN goes and interviews them and asks them why it makes it. I just want you to hear what they say. So here it is, quick CNN clip. Take about a minute. Worth your time, though. Why'd your house survive? Go ahead. We put a lot of work in it. <laughs> we, we paid attention to every detail from the ground up. Um, uh, at every point from, from, uh, from pilings to the roof uh, and everything in between. When it came time to, to make a decision about what level of material or what to use, we didn't pay attention to code. We went above and beyond code and we, and we tried to, and we asked the question, what would survive the big one? And, and we consistently tried to build it for that. And this was the, the engineers big took all kinds of things. You know, well. Apparently so. Um, my understanding is that the code, the Hurricane one. Andrew code in the Florida Panhandle is that you have to build a house to withstand 120 mile per hour winds. You built this to withstand 240 mile per hour winds, is that right? Uh, 240, 250, something like that. Um, it's, uh, it's poured concrete walls on top of 40 foot pilings. Um, and uh, rebar all in the walls. Steel cables go from the girders uh, above the pilings through the roof uh, and, are, and continue through the roof down the other side on the back wall. Really, really important that you see it real quick. Here's what he says. So he says, what helped you survive the storm? And here is literally what he said. We paid attention to every detail from the ground up at every point from pilings to the roof, 40 feet down, right? And everything in between. We didn't pay attention to code. We went above and beyond the code. And watch this. And we asked the question, what would survive the big one? And we consistently tried to build it for that. So here's the question. What would survive the, build, the big one? And how do you build for that? It's really simple. You love. That's how you build it. Because you trust so much in what Jesus has done for you. Jesus has done such a work in your heart, but you can't help to go, Jesus was loving to me. You do good. Why? Because you have come to the conclusion that Jesus has done good to you. You bless others. Why? Because you have received the blessing. God speaking to you in life and in his word, right? Because he's blessed you. You exchange wishes for other people. Why? Because God has exchanged his wishes for you. He exchanged his heart for your heart. Like he gave it to you with all of his hope and all of his desire. Right? You lend. You get, use your resources for the good of the kingdom. Why? Because God used his own life for the good of your entrance into the kingdom. You are merciful. Why? Because you have really received his mercy. And so for you right now, let's go, can we go back to that first week. Be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful. Could we just start there? Could you just go, God, I'm not merciful. And the evidence for why you're not merciful is because you have not received God's mercy for you and it is fully available. He says, you want to build your house on the rock. Here's where it starts. You receive God's mercy and love. And out of the overflow of that, you pour it out to others. So what's going to happen is the band's going to come up and they're going to lead us in a song. And in just a second, you're going to hear the nice little chorus of that song that you know so much about on christ the solid rock i stand all other ground is sinking sand 
I dare not trust. Right? And the, you trust only in this sweetest face, grace. I'm sorry, I don't remember the lyrics. And it says one line, and it says, when, when darkness seems to hide his, God's face, I'll rest on his unchanging, here, grace. So foundation starts with, can you rest on his grace? And then can you pour that out into other people? So lots to think about. So what's going to happen, they're going to sing, and you're welcome to stand in your home. You're welcome to get out of your car. You're welcome to stand in here. You're welcome to sit still for a second and go, God, 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 would you give me the courage to choose obedience over understanding? And may you help me live in the courage of that this week. And so would you guys lead us in song? Thank you. In the presence of my enemies When the storm is crashing down on me I will trust in what I cannot see I wait for you I wait for you If you can call
home, it's just a great reminder. I mean, what a perfect time to get a storm coming in. As you see the snow falling, just remember that it's on Christ the solid rock we stand. So we hope you have a great week. Weather the storm well, and we will see you back here next week.